Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. In the start of the year, I talk a lot about team mission statements. This is one of my favorite staff training tools because it brings everyone together on their common whys. Why are you in this field? Why are you choosing to be here? Why did you choose this to be your life's work? Now, something I see a lot on team mission statements is creating individuals who are independent and who can self-advocate and who can communicate what they want and what they need. Well, what goes along with being independent and communicating what you want and need is being able to communicate when you don't like something or don't want to do something. And that can be referred to as assent withdrawal, meaning I'm withdrawing my assent. I'm withdrawing, agreeing to do this activity. And as educators, it's our responsibility to acknowledge and respect that assent withdrawal when someone says, hey, hey, this isn't cool, this isn't fun, and then look into why this isn't cool or this isn't fun. And if we go back to our why, our team mission statements, why are we here? We're here because we want our learners to be independent. That's in line with that mission and that why. Today, I'm chatting with Chrissy Borowski, who is the Chief Clinical Officer of Beerman ABA, and we are talking all about ascent withdrawal. We're talking about what this can look like in the classroom, what are some practical strategies you can do to make learning more fun and to avoid this, and how to really dig in 
when ascent withdrawal happens and look at our activities critically and all of the different layers that come into one expectation to figure out where that breakdown is occurring. I think there's a ton of value to be learned from this conversation and that we can bring into our classrooms, into our therapies, into our homes right away. Because this will help us create students and learners who are independent and who can communicate their wants and needs. So let's jump in. Hi, Chrissy. How are you? Hi, Sasha. I'm good. I am so happy to have you joining us today. Thank you for taking the time uh, to chat with us. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Really excited to get to chat some more. So before we get to our topic, which we'll be talking about ascent withdrawal, which is, you know, Chrissy just said she loves talking about this topic, which I love hearing about this topic and sharing this topic with our audience. Before we get to that, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what your current role is in the field of applied behavior analysis. Sure. So I'm I'm a BCBA. Um, I've been a BCBA since 2008. So I've been in the field for a while. I started off in the special special education world, so I thought I was going to be a special education teacher for for life. Um, mm-hmm. Got a dual degree in special education or education and, and behavior analysis. So I taught for a little while, and then um, really loved kind of getting out of the school setting and had gone into some home based ABA and school consultation, where I got to jump in and help teachers. And then right now, I am in center-based ABA services. I'm the chief clinical officer, so I do a lot of overseeing BCBAs, helping provide training. Um, we do a little bit of school consultation still. And uh, my, my passion at the moment is just training people on topics like ascent withdrawal and really getting people to think more critically about um, working with kiddos with autism. Yes, I know. It's, you know, sometimes we just get caught in our routines, you know, and in the way we think and doing things the same way. But like, that's such a good point to think critically, like pause for a minute and like question why we do something the way we do. Absolutely. I think critical thinking is is huge and not getting stuck in the same way of doing something just because that's the way you do it. And we all know that kids with autism, especially are all unique individuals that need just some, you know, little tweaks in how you're working with them. Yeah. So the topic today is ascent withdrawal, and this may be a new topic for some people. So can we start off kind of by just giving a good definition of what that means and why it's important? Yeah. So ascent withdrawal, I think, you know, doesn't have this formal definition that's out there in the world, although I see it popping up more, which I think is great. The way that I try to explain it is thinking in terms of Informed consent. Informed consent is something that we all know a little bit about, whether you're a parent who's signing off on informed consent for your child to get treatment or signing an IEP. Um, But then assent really looks at the child's agreement to that treatment or that learning opportunity. So when we talk about assent withdrawal, we're talking about a child that we're working with saying, I don't want to do this anymore, or I don't like what we're doing there informally, typically withdrawing their assent from the current learning process or procedure or therapeutic intervention that you're doing. And why is it important that we talk about this? And why is it important for kids to even exhibit these behaviors? Yeah, I think the skill is important on on multiple levels. I think the first is just thinking about uh, working with a more vulnerable population, um, we all as, as adults I think, can think of times where 
we draw withdrawal our scent all the time. We are good self-advocates. We are able to say when we don't want to do something or we don't like something. And when we are working with a, a population who doesn't always have the skills to do so, I think there's a lot of concerns that can pop up. And we need to start thinking about how we can do a better job teaching those learners to be be good self-advocates to say, like, I don't like something or this isn't working for me in this moment or I need a break even. But then also recognizing when they're doing that in a way that isn't the typical mode of saying that you don't like something. So being able to recognize when learning is no longer fun for them or the intervention is aversive or um, something that they're really not enjoying. And I think we we provide so much instruction and and so much guidance for you know kids with developmental disabilities that we really should be thinking about what the purpose is. And I think the purpose is to make them more independent uh, individuals who are able to be their own advocate one day. Yeah. Like think about those big picture goals. Like where's this seven-year-old when he's 27? Right, right. We want, you know, we don't want learners who are just always doing what an adult tells them to do. I think it's it's sometimes nice maybe in the classroom or in the, in the therapy setting that we've gained really good compliance, but at some point those learners are going to have to say no or, or understand when they should be advocating. It's such a trippy, trick, trippy, tricky topic to, to think about because it does, you know, as we said earlier, go against what we've always done and what we've always thought. You know, we as teachers, as educators, as clinicians, we want kids that follow directions. We we want good listeners. We want green choices. We want nice hands. And then it's almost this big shift to be like, well, wait, why do we want that? And then what do we do when those behaviors aren't happening? And how can we see that, that that's a positive, that that's good, that our learners are saying like, no, I don't want to do this right now. Yeah, I think that is especially tricky, right? Because you want, you you want learners who do follow directions. And I even think of uh, my own son in school. Like, I don't want to get a report home from the teacher that he wasn't listening or wasn't participating in class activities. And identifying the difference between uh, a learner who is just saying yes to everything and, and following directions while really, really unhappy versus a learner who is happy in their learning environment. We talk about the term you know, the learner is always right. And I think this does go against some of what we're originally taught and gaining compliance, but really thinking about it more critically in terms of the learner's ability to tell us that something that we're doing in our teaching environment isn't working for them. And, and we need to be the ones to adjust, not them. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it because I think when when I've talked to teachers about this topic, I can see the like question brewing, you know, as I as as it's being explained like, but it's school. Like you have to do things you don't want to do. Like you have right. to do work. What are we just going to let kids not do work? And it's like to your point, you're like, no, we have to think about different ways to present 
instruction or ideas or our activities. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, our learners do need to eventually love learning and love to follow teacher directions and be a part of the learning experience. So it's, it's trying to figure out how do we get them there because we're not, I, I think that is where it gets tricky. Like we're not trying to teach them to escape every single activity. Instead, we're just trying to figure out what are the ones that they are trying to escape and what's different about that. Mm-hmm. What makes it unpleasant for them or what makes it not fun anymore and how can we change that so that it does become fun and they do want to be engaged in the learning activities? Yeah. Can you talk through like a hypothetical or based on a real client example of something like that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I actually see this a lot even with my my own child at home <laughs> um, where he really enjoyed going to school and then all of a sudden school gets a little bit harder and um, does great in in math and participates in those activities. And then the reading comes out and the tears start building up in his eyes. And it's not that he, you know, I'm making assumptions here a little bit. It's not that he doesn't want to engage in the activity, but it's particularly challenging for him. And so you'll see him start reading. And once it gets over a certain amount of words, he's, he's really, the tears start building up. You can tell he's starting to withdraw and he's not great at, advocating for himself just yet because he doesn't want to disappoint his teacher but there's a clear sign there and I think that's the thing that we're trying to teach people to look for is is there a a change in affect um there's uh, someone who had had done a presentation before where they talked about um the learner voting with their feet so talking about like they're (laughs) they're moving away from you they're showing that there's something about this that isn't fun and then in my own personal scenario, we ended up doing a lot of just extra outside of school, um, heavily reinforcement based, but providing a lot of reinforcement for, for reading and because it was just hard. It was just hard for him and he was withdrawing his assent, but that's not something that everyone's always going to notice. Mm-hmm. In the moment when you see that, like, you know, you said your son, the tears building up or feet moving away or, you know, that change in affect in that moment, what is kind of the bat or a recommended next step for the educator, whether that's a teacher or parent or a clinician? So the way I like to think about it or the way that you know, we spend time training people this in my setting currently is breaking down the activity. So trying to find out what is it about the activity that's different than what they're doing and they're happy with. So comparing that to other skills. And it depends on your learner's skill set at that point to figure out how you can do that. So if they have some more communication skills, you can ask. And I spent some own time with my son saying, like, what's wrong here? Like, what what is it that you don't like about this? And and you might need to teach some of those skills of saying, like, it's too hard or it's too long of a work task. I need a break in between or I need some help with this. And then for your learners who are you know, not at that point in their communication, you just you just break down the task. You figure out, do they have the skills to do this? Maybe I look at something like reading or another task that I'm giving them and I break it down into smaller pieces and I find out, oh, they're missing some of the skills to do this and that might be why. Or they can't sit for this amount of time and I'm asking them to and I, I maybe I just need to break it down into smaller pieces. So is it a skill deficit? Is it something in the environment that's different? Um, you know, trying to 
break it apart into smaller pieces to figure out what it is that's different about that particular activity that is causing them to withdraw their assent and then change something about it or add in additional teaching strategies or programming to target the skills that are missing that are needed to do it. It's really about kind of pulling apart the activity and analyzing it in a little bit more, I guess, uh, analyzing it in its smaller pieces to figure out what is it that's causing them to withdraw their scent and how can I change that? Yeah, that's great advice because so, you know, every single activity that we present our learners with has so many components, even, you know, the most simple like put in task, like is it is it sitting? Is it the shape of the pieces? Is it how many pieces? Is it the fine motor expectation that, you know, even at such a simple task, there's so many different layers and to figure out, yeah, where that breakdown is occurring is is good advice. Um, yeah, and I think that we don't think about that, I guess, too often, um, right? So we're not always looking at, oh, wow, is it this particular you know, shape sorter as you were talking about? Or suddenly I got to an array of way too many pictures for mm-hmm. them to scan, and they can't scan an entire array of, of 20, but they can look in front of them at, at four pictures, uh, just figuring out what's What's different about it? And sometimes it's hard because, it, and on the surface, I mean, I can, I can think back to so many examples with previous students or clients where it doesn't seem like anything's different. Like, and that gets hard as the educator when you're like, this is the same activity you've done before. I know, you know, I hear, I hear teachers say, I know he can do it, but there's other things going on that are at play that are new in that scenario, whether that be other students in the classroom or you know, just puberty. I feel like throws everything into a loop, like as kids get older and there's new levels of hormones and emotions that make a task potentially more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, it's not only the task if maybe they have done it a hundred times before and it's been fine, um, but it's, it's the things going on around them or, or even, you know, within them, we don't often talk about that, but maybe we just didn't get a ton of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> or we're going through some other changes that are causing, you know, internal changes that are different that we just need to to take a look at. And that could be a big part. And I think, like you said, the environment is huge. Maybe the environment's too distracting for a specific skill or there's something different about the materials than the ones that they have used in the past. Like breaking down more than just, you know, the task itself and like what else is happening there. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about when ascent withdrawal behaviors, you know, are are maladaptive behaviors. You know, kids are engaging in aggression or meltdowns that are, you know, from some people's perspective would be, yes, this is clear ascent withdrawal. This child does not want to be involved in this task. And then there's, you know, probably other groups of educators and clinicians that would say, well, well, we can't reinforce that. You know, they got to finish the activity. How do we how do we talk through that situation and work through that situation when it comes to respecting a client's boundaries and and identifying when they are withdrawing a sense? Yeah, that's I think that's particularly difficult for people to start to think about in terms of of assent withdrawal and escape maintained behavior. So I think it goes along the lines of the worry that all of a sudden I'm just going to be reinforcing this high magnitude challenging behavior or they're you know, the tantrum is resulting in escape and I don't want to provide reinforcement because then we're going to see an increase in, in tantrums and I can't allow them to escape. And you know, I think that there's often a lot of things that go into play as to why this behavior is occurring. Sometimes it's 
is because we have a limited communication skill set and we need to teach more functional ways to be able to escape tasks. I think reinforcing escape isn't all that bad when we're starting to teach it in a, in a way that's functional. So can I teach a more functional way to escape than engaging in aggression or um, you know, tantrum behaviors and, and start with some just functional communication training and trying to do that as, as an antecedent intervention where I'm just giving you opportunities to find some way to communicate with me, whether it's through the use of, you know, a picture exchange that just says like some type of escape band, whether it be, um, you know, I need a break or no, I think I've, we've, done things as simple as just like a, a stop um, tech that you might use to just teach a, an initial escape man. And while the thought can be scary that we are going to just, you know, oh no, we are going to allow this child to escape everything, escaping a lot of things appropriately versus engaging in, you know, either high intensity aggression or tantrum behaviors or those more maladaptive behaviors is the first step in the right direction because yeah. at least we're replacing those behaviors and finding an appropriate way to escape. And that will allow us to start to, you know, condition work and make learning fun and, and give us the opportunity to make that therapeutic relationship and working relationship fun and, and get us to a better place than just engaging in the high rates of, of those maladaptive behaviors. Yes. Like 100% agree. And, you know, I, I talk about this, I talk about this a lot on this podcast or in, in trainings and, you know, te I, I see the worry and I get the worry that people are like, well, if they ask for a break 50 times, I'm going to give them a break 50 times. I'm like, yeah. yes. And it's okay. Because guess what? If they were engaging in a tantrum, you weren't getting that work done anyways. Like, exactly. you know, like I'd rather have 50 communication opportunities that are like, communicative and pro-social than being a meltdown anyways. Like look at your alternative. Exactly. You know, you'd be spending your time not presenting learning opportunities if the other behaviors were occurring. And at least we are starting to provide reinforcement for some appropriate communication. And and I think it is scary to think, oh, we're just we're just demanding to <laughs> to yeah. say no to activities all day. But that gives you a place to start from. And then once you get there, you can really start to work on making learning a reinforcing activity and start to pair yourself. I think even for me, when I was initially starting in the field, the thought of pairing was a little scary where I was like, I'm going to spend my time just playing with this kid or getting them to like me when I could be presenting all of these learning opportunities. But that gave me a better way to present learning opportunities. I was now reinforcing and, and the kids I worked with learned that I could be fun and participating in those learning act activities with me would then be fun. And then you don't have as many of those escape mans anymore. They'll, they'll go away and they want to be with you and they want to learn and be part of that interactive environment. And that's the place where we need to get. I think this oftentimes what happens is once we think, oh, we have to follow through with all these demands, we start using escape extinction or like we're going to follow through with this demand until they comply so that I don't reinforce this behavior I don't want to see. You get into the use of negative reinforcement, but just the, the use of the learner now working just to get away from you and be done with that work task. And you don't want that relationship either. Like that's not, I, I would say, the preferred way 
for you to have uh, a teaching arrangement where they're just completing a task for you just to get away from you and be done with it. We yeah. want our learners to like it. And how, you know, you talked a little bit, you know, about pairing and how that was intimidating when you started. And I totally agree. Um, and obviously a lot of what you do now is training and teaching people how to do all of this, you know, on a, on a regular basis. What's your advice for, you know, teachers that have paraprofessionals in their classroom and how teachers can, can teach their teams about this, teach their paraprofessionals to pair and to make learning fun? Like what are some ways that, that teachers can, can get their teams to be doing this as well? Yeah, I think that it first starts with just getting to know your learners. So getting to know the kids you're going to be working with. Um, you know, we always talk about letting the, the learner guide us. So what are they interested in? Find things that they're interested in and you start pairing yourself with those things, whether it be just the presentation of those things, which I think also was a little scary for me at first when I started where I'm like, oh, I'm just delivering these preferred items for free. Um, <laughs> it doesn't seem right to me that I'm just going to give them something they like and I didn't ask them to do anything but it really is pairing yourself with things that that they like and you start to I think a little bit of pairing to me is, is building trust with the learners that you're working with and you deliver something fun and then we use the term make it better so you make those fun things better make the activity that you're doing with that fun thing that they like better with you than it is without you and then you start to become your own like reinforcing activity with them. So if it's, um, I'm trying to think of an example, but yeah, I was just going to ask, give me an example of make it better. <laughs> yeah. So make it better. So if, if a child, let's say, um, it really likes a train set and it can be more fun for me to like be the one making noises, making the train set go around. And I make the activity more fun with me than, than it is without me. Whereas without me, you know, they can move the train set around, but they don't get the fun noises and I can add extra pieces on for them. Um, or if it's, you know, we like bubbles. If we like bubbles, then I can make the bubbles more fun by like running around with the bubbles and I'm the one that blows the bubbles and uh, you might have to ask me to blow some more. I can make like silly noises while I'm doing it. And I, I we kind of call them make it better. Just kind of, you have to be okay with being silly and, um, mm -hmm. You have a little bit of like being okay to make a fool out of yourself sometimes, but the kids love it. And, and I think that as long as they want to be engaged in the activity with you and it's more fun with you than it is without you, you're off to like a really great start there. Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, think about like students that are coming to school, if they're like excited to see their teacher and they're excited to be in that classroom, you, you're already like winning. You're not, you're not even going to be anywhere near at risk of someone whose kids are like dreading coming in because they, they want to be there. They're starting off from a place of this seems cool versus this seems horrible. <laughs> right. And I think we all can think of experiences maybe that we've had where somebody just makes a certain activity really exciting, whether it be reading a book and the person who's really good at like pretending to be the characters and making all the silly voices. Like I want to read a book with them and not the person who just reads in a monotone voice and flips the page and doesn't seem happy to be there. And it's just little things like that, that I think can really make the whole learning environment more reinforcing to be in. And you just engage your learners a little bit more from the beginning. It's, it's really just all about getting to know them at the individual level and starting to, be part of 
you know, the fun things that they like. Yes. Oh, that's that. I think that's a great, great point to end on. I hope everyone like remembers that last line, like be part of what they like. And then, and then we can avoid someone saying, no, I don't want to do this. Like that's really the whole goal is that right. That we're avoiding the ascent withdrawal because everyone wants to be a part of everything because right. we've made it fun. <laughs> right. Exactly. You make it fun. You um, really kind of get the learner to a point where they want to be engaged with you and then when they do withdraw ascent, you really know at that point, like, ooh, there's something about this particular thing because, you know, all these other things they do, they want to be a part of it. And then it can identify that moment for you. Yeah, great point. So if people want to learn more about ascent withdrawal, what are some good resources or trainings that you would recommend? There are, um, I think... Unfortunately, I don't think there's a lot out there right now, but there are a couple that I have stumbled upon that I think are great resources. Um, there's a few in the Central Reach Institute. They have just come out with about client ascent. Um, they have a few articles on there too. And then I think ABI just had one workshop on, on ascent. So I would, I would suggest starting with some literature on preparing, creating instructional control. And then from there, I think it's really on the field to, to start to publish some more on this, get out some more resources, some more training, because I think it is a new topic and it's a little bit harder for everyone to conceptualize. Yeah. But it's so, it's so needed. You know, our field really needs us. Yeah, yeah, we, we definitely do. And I think um, just from a BCBA standpoint and obviously as a, a, a teacher before too, that I, I think we get sometimes a, a bad rap um, and ABA in particular can have some people who aren't big big fans of it because of how cold maybe sometimes we can seem. And I think this is a great way to step out of that that perception and really show people that we we really do have a heart and we really are caring about our our clients and their consent and assent to be within instructional arrangements with us and that that they're all you know individuals who have have the right to decide whether or not they're going to participate in their treatment. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, I'm not going to let myself go on a tangent there, but I agree with you one million. <laughs> like yes, our field needs that in a big way so we can you know, move away from some of the, maybe the wrong, maybe the wrong or sometimes right generalizations that have been made about, right. about our job. Well, thank you so much, Chrissy. This was so interesting. And I loved hearing your, your perspective and your, and your practical advice. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, I, it was really great to be here. Uh, like I said, it's a topic that I feel really passionate about, and I'm glad that um, I could share kind of my thoughts on it. Thanks, Chrissy. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening.
save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum, everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.